Welcome back, fiction friends. This is Anita Capri, and you are listening to Not Just Any Other Story. So thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to be continuing uh, reading The Shopping Cart People, and I would like to welcome one of my dearest friends, Debbie. Deb, we've known each other for a long time, I think 20 years. It had to be 20 years. I, I would say at least that, and it's... Um... Thank you for including me in uh, in your podcast, Anita. Deb, I want you to be here because I know you're going to be honest. <laughs> I know you're going to tell me what you think, and this is what it's all about. It can't just be oh, I liked your book. It's got you got to we got to talk about people, and we got to talk about things that maybe you know we can improve upon. And anyway, so we'll just start reading. Okay. Do you want me to read the first one, or you want to read the first one? I think we're starting at chapter twenty-seven. And going right up to 30, Debbie's checking how long chapter 27 is. I actually read chapter 27. Oh, okay, here, you read, you start then, okay? okay? All right, here we go. Chapter 27 is playing chess. Okay. Okay, then, chapter 27, playing chess. Let me help you, Angel. Stefan took the bag for me that I was just about to drop. I looked up at him, a little flustered but delighted to see him. Thank you, Stefan, I said. Are you, did you come to see Tilly? I was just having lunch with a friend close by, he answered. It was just after five. Lunch? I'm ready for dinner. I didn't know if she would be here, he explained, almost apologetically. I was so impressed that he could speak English so fluently. And every time he spoke, I felt as if I were being taken away into another world. It was refreshing and exciting to hear English spoken so beautifully, each sound articulated so carefully. I understood completely at that moment how women could be wooed by a Frenchman, or rather by his accent. I don't think she's here, I explained. She said she would be late, but my voice trailed off as I thought about asking him to come up to keep me company while I prepared dinner, forgetting about my much-needed siesta. I couldn't imagine that Tilly would mind. Oh, what the hell. Would you like to come up and wait for her? I was going to make her a nice dinner. My invitation was received with sincere appreciation. He smiled, and it was such a sweet smile that I knew I'd made the right decision. As it turned out, Stefan was a great help in the kitchen. After I had blended and stirred all the ingredients together, he added a few of his own personal touches to the sauce for the pasta. We left it <clears throat> to bubble happily on the stove, each of its ingredients mingling together to create a heavenly aroma that permeated the whole apartment. Feeling almost faint from hunger, I suggested that we snack on some antipasto and bread while we waited for Tilly to arrive home. So I see Tilly left you alone today, Stefan said almost as if he knew about our big fight. Yes, I answered a little suspicious, but I did a lot today. He nodded and looked at me intently, waiting for me to go on. I went to the underground caves and the Torre del Moro, Oh, yes. He sat up a little and placed his wine glass on the coffee table, then leaned forward, waiting to hear more about my sightseeing adventures. And I walked all along the Corso Cavour for a long time. Then I went to some museum. I don't remember the name. Museo Emilio Greco, he asked. Yes, yes, I think that's it. He was still leaning forward, clearly interested in every detail. He was so charming, I just couldn't understand why Tilly hadn't been more interested in him. But after our argument in the car, I decided to put any notion of giving Tilly advice to rest. 
This is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. There was so much history here. I continued as I began replaying the images I had seen in my head. The cracking facade of the old tower, the dingy caves, the beautiful open plains of Orvieto. It was a great place to, st to study archaeology and geology as well, said Stefan. I could see that sparkle in his eye as he spoke. He was a man who was truly passionate about his work. If I knew you were going to explore the sites, I would have taken you. I was touched by the belated offer. He seemed to be assessing my reaction. Then catching me off guard, he said, you are not like your sister. I wasn't sure if he was paying me a compliment or simply telling me that I was not nearly as exciting as Tilly. My expression must have revealed what I was thinking because he smiled at me full out this time. I smiled back. Thank goodness, I said laughing. I don't think Orvieto could handle two of my sister. There was a brief moment of silence and then our attention was diverted to the window when a loud boom from a truck hitting a pothole echoed from the street below. I wondered what he was thinking then. Was he wondering if Tilly would ever settle down? If he would be better off pining after someone more like me, less confident, someone who had to have a plan for everything? What you see is what you get with Tilly and she's not afraid of anything, I said, breaking the silence. He nodded in agreement, his gaze now thoughtful. You like Tilly very much, don't you? I asked. He looked at me with pensive eyes, eyes that couldn't hide what he was feeling. He didn't have to answer, and he chose not to. I just gave him a comforting smile and quickly changed the subject so we both wouldn't feel too uncomfortable. But under the surface of our polite conversation, I sensed a depth of feeling and longing from Stefan. We chatted for a while longer. When the sauce, with its blend of garlic, herbs, and wine, had tantalized us to the point of no return, we decided it was time to make the pasta. I was glad it was so fresh that it only took a few minutes to cook El Dante. It was 8 o'clock by the time we sat down at the little table in the kitchen. Just as I savored the first mouthful, feeling like I'd been seduced into pasta heaven, Tilly walked through the door. It was one of those awkward moments when you wait for someone else to say something first, but nobody says anything. I could only smile at Tilly, a nervous smile, hoping that she wouldn't be annoyed that Stefan was there. But I was even more concerned that she still hadn't forgiven me. As she took in the scene before her, a smile began to germinate from the corner of her mouth, and I caught a little twinkle in her eye when she looked at Stefan. I felt safe, at least for the moment. Stefan was already up and out of his seat, taking the bag she was carrying and placing them neatly beside the door. Smells good, she finally said. She walked over to the pot of sauce, still bubbling on the cooktop. Come on, Tilly, sit down and have a bite, I managed. Stefan was still silent, watching her as she settled on her chair, waiting to be served. He dished up a heaping plate of the linguine while I poured her a full glass of red wine. So, she started wistfully, to whom do I owe this delightful meal? It was Stefan who answered this time. Your sister said she wanted to cook for you tonight. I'm just her assistant. Oh, Tilly said with a tone that was a blend of both sarcasm and amusement. She looked at me then and took my hand, squeezing it. Thanks, Angie. The warmth of her touch and her smile put all of my fears to rest. I wanted to say so much to her at that moment. I almost wished I hadn't asked Stefan to come up. Then she turned to Stefan, saying, and thanks also to her assistant. Stefan raised his glass. 
Atasante, he said. We both raised our own glasses respectfully. Cheers, I added, to which Tilly responded with a hearty sin sin. Chin chin. Chin chin. <laughs> Good one. And the three salutes, French, English, and Italian, come together in the clinking of our three glasses like a union of sorts. Not just one of our cultures, but one of the raw emotions that had consumed us all. It seemed as if the walls and barriers, the anger between Tilly and me, the true feelings of love which held Tilly and Stefan at a distance, all seemed to come crashing down silently with the light touch of our rims. As we each sipped our wine, the phone rang, allowing us a perfect end to the moment of deeper understandings. When Tilly answered, I knew immediately that it was Harry when she turned to me, grinning from ear to ear. Hi there, she exclaimed. You sound so old. Has your voice changed or something? She teased. Then she laughed at Harry's response on the other end. Stefan glanced at me curiously as I got up to take the phone. Following a brief but loving exchange between nephew and aunt, I practically ripped the phone out of her hand. I went out onto the balcony to have some privacy while I caught up on the goings-on of everyone back home. So how's it going, Mom? Having fun? Harry asked. Yes, a lot of fun. And you? I knew he was probably having the time of his life without my rules and routines. His giggle betrayed as much. He began to relay the events of the past week with his Uncle Matt and his grandparents, all of whom were spoiling him unceasingly. We went to a baseball game one night, and then last night we went to play cards at this guy's house, one of Uncle Matt's old friends. His voice went on excitedly. Oh, so your uncle is teaching you to gamble now. I wondered what else Harry had been up to under Matt's permissive care. Not really, Mom. He reassured me. It's been fun with Uncle Matt, and Nona has been feeding me so much. Are you staying there? I tried calling everywhere to get a hold of you. Yeah, we've been there most of the time, except tonight. We're going to watch a movie at home and order Chinese food. His voice was so animated, I began to wonder if he had felt cheated somehow, not having had a father around or a relationship with a younger male role model like Matt or less. I felt tears begin to well up and try desperately to control my voice. I'm glad you're having fun, Harry. As if he shared that same O'Leary intuition he cut in with, I still miss you, Mom. I couldn't help but laugh at his attempt to make me feel needed. I miss you terribly, honey. So when are you coming home? Saturday? Yep, late though. I won't see you till Sunday. I told your grandfather not to bother coming to get me at the airport. I'd come and get you if I had my license, he joked. Well, thank goodness there's still time before that happens, I said as the mood became more jovial. When is your Uncle Matt leaving? I asked suddenly, realizing that Matt was not going to be with us indefinitely. He said probably Wednesday. He has stuff at work he has to do. Oh, too bad. I was disappointed I wouldn't be back in time to see Matt before he left. See if you can convince him to stay for just a few more days. I'll try, Mom, but you couldn't believe how many calls he gets on his cell phone from work. It's nonstop. As Harry and I caught up other familiar details, eventually we eventually said our goodbyes. I saw Tilly and Stefan on the street below me. As they talked by the door to our apartment, I noticed that Stefan had Tilly's hand in his, though I knew it was somewhat of an intimate moment between them. I couldn't resist watching them. I tried to make out what they were saying, but then someone slammed a window shut in the apartment directly above me, and I was shaken to my senses. I went back into Tilly's apartment feeling guilty for having eavesdropped. A few minutes later, Tilly came in, her expression a little strange. 
She closed the door behind her. Leaning against it, her arms folded in front of her, she stared at me for a few seconds. Then she dropped her arms to her side despondently and sighed deeply. Fuck, I hate when you're right. What? I wondered if she meant what I hoped she meant. And then when I realized that perhaps they had kissed, I opened my mouth to speak. Relax, she said, nodding her head slightly. I'm not marrying the guy or anything. It was just a kiss. And then she couldn't stop giggling nervously. The more she tried to compose herself, the more she giggled. Her mood was contagious. We both came together in an enormous hug that I would never forget. Is he a good kisser? I asked a bit later, recalling that she had asked me the same question days before about Les. She didn't answer at first, just shook her head and then, woo, oh yeah, he's good. She headed for the bottle of wine on the table, a smile still betraying her giddiness. Tilly didn't elaborate on the kiss or anything else. I didn't want to press her, so she poured the remainder of the bottle's contents into our glasses. I joined her at the table. Just as we were about to take a sip, she stopped and said, And just so you know, you may be right about Stefan, but I'm right too about you and your less. I didn't answer. I just gave her a hint of a smile in acknowledgement. Here's to good kissers. She raised her glass in one final salute to the evening. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> and that's chapter 27. <laughs> um, I like this chapter for a few reasons. I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I the part where it says, um, a ta santé, chin chin, and cheers. I love that the whole, like it said, the mingling of the cultures, mm. right? And how you can go somewhere like to Italy, France, wherever. And especially because there's European countries are so close, mm. you have a mingling of cultures all the time, mm. right? Just like Stefan, he's, his mother was French, but his dad's Italian and he speaks both languages and English. Mm. So because he, he went to school in the United States. So anyway, I love that part. And I love how Tilly now is a little bit vulnerable instead of the cool, you know, kind of crass person that she is. Anyway, I don't know. What do you think? You agree? Yes, I am. It's in the beginning of the chapter. I wasn't sure uh, because the previous chapter was, I think, the blow up or blow out. Yes, yes. The sisters and and. So it's interesting that within a day or under 24 hours or whatever it is that they're more understanding of each other or not so, not so angry. So I thought good for them to be able to get past that, that quickly, because having sisters and you have a sister and I have two sisters and we have in-laws, female in-laws, etc. Uh, things don't necessarily dissipate that quickly. So I'm so interested that you said that because I feel like there are some families where honestly there could be these feuds or these mm. arguments or they don't talk for months. Mm. And I have to be, I'm being very honest when I tell you in our family, when we have an argument mm -hmm. like growing up, even when my parents were mad at us, we were mad at our parents. It never lasted. Like wow. it was within a day or two mm. done. Or we wouldn't talk about it sometimes. Like we wouldn't sort of go back and address mm -hmm. it, but it was done. 
it's kind of like <laughs> growing up in an Italian household, you know, <laughs> all, or a European household. It's all this yelling and you get it off your chest and it's done. Whereas with my husband's family, I feel like nobody really yells or anything like that, but they stay mad longer. Mm. It's just the, it's, it's just, again, it's almost a clash of cultures, you know? Mm. I, but I find that so interesting that you said that because it's true. It, well, I also wanted to say is that because my sisters live farther away and so I don't see them as frequently as I might if I, you know, live closer to them, obviously. Um, I think that we could have words one day and then the next day it things will be fine or we work on making them fine. We make an attempt now to not continue it and hold on to it. Um, I guess what came to mind when you were talking about, you know, they're, they're saluting each other or saying cheers and in, in different languages is, uh, in my family, um, you know, my daughter's husband is from Quebec city. So he's bilingual. He speaks French fluently and as well as English. And then my son's girlfriend, uh, you know, is of Asian heritage and she can speak Cantonese and Mandarin and English. So we're all sitting around the table doing cheers and et cetera, not necessarily in other languages, but there are a number of people who come around the table who do speak other languages. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I really do. <laughs> Not necessarily Italian, and yeah, but yeah. definitely the French well, and Cantonese. That's, that's very typical too of of even Toronto, not just Canada. No, Toronto. Toronto. Oh yes, we're so multicultural. Absolutely, right, mm -hmm. and more so all like decade after decade, mm -hmm. more and more. I love it though. I just love it. I think one of the things in this chapter, I'm not sure what the where we're going in in the next chapter, but. I was really interested in the uh, how you included the archaeology and the terrain in whatever part of Italy, and I have no idea what part of Italy that is. <laughs> it's I've never been to Orvieto. Oh, but now this is me. I when they go see um, the dad's town, mm. that's where my fam my dad's family's from, but not Orvieto. But I'd love to go see Orvieto. Okay. Yeah. My my dad's family's from Umbria, which is I believe north of Tuscany. Oh, they have different regions, right? Right. right. Like um, they have Bari, and they have um, the southern region of mm -hmm. Italy, and they have you know Tuscany, and you know so um, and you know they have sometimes a person from the north has a very different dialect mm. from the person in the south, and what I I mean I know that just because being of Italian heritage. But I also noticed that when I was in France, when I lived in France, like in Paris, they have specific ways of saying things. Hmm. And in the South, where I went to school, they have a twang almost hmm. to their French. Like they have this ing sound. So like in, in Paris, you'll say, je viens de Paris, hmm. je viens, which means I come from Paris. And in the South, they'll say, je viens de Marseille. Like they, ding, da, 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 ding. Mm, <laughs> it's like this, mm -hmm. this twangy thing. Mm -hmm. So I love it though. Mm -hmm. I love these different act. Well, it's just like here, we have different accents. I think more in the States than Canada, but I, you know, there's different accents from depending on where you're from. Right. And different dialects. I mean, yeah. 
coming from West Virginia, there's five different dialects. And in back in the day, you know, going to college um, to try to uh, help us uh, determine our path in terms of careers, et cetera. They, uh, in West Virginia, they wanted us to try to change our dialect. I don't think they're doing that now, but there are, there were five different dialects just in one little state. What do you mean by dialect though? Do you like mean the, the accent. Word? Oh, the accent. Yeah. Like okay. you, like you were saying yeah. the way it's pronounced or. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say it's, I think here too, cause because when you hear people speak, at least in my experience being here um, for so long, uh, I hear different, I don't know if they're dialects, but def definitely in terms of pronunciations from different people in different parts of Ontario mm -hmm. I, I, or even Canada, I, I hear different accents, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we're... On that note, we're oh. going to move on. Oh, okay. I'm just going to move the mic a little bit okay. over. Sorry about the um, pause there. We're going to move on to chapter 28, and it's called Home, Home at Last. Giovanni raced through traffic heading toward Rome, totally indifferent to the speed and number of cars around us. I found it a little dis disconcerting as he changed lanes, whizzing and weaving around other cars as if he were having a beer with his pals on a Friday night. Either you were in a hurry or you weren't, and when you were in a hurry, particularly to catch a flight, there's usually a tense quiet in the car and the occasional utterance when a person in front of you is going so slowly that it is almost impossible to keep a cool head. But Giovanni chattered away in Italian, and as he kept the conversation going, mostly with Tilly, I started to daydream, thinking about the things that I'd seen over the course of my trip, the stunning pictures I had in my mind of the Italian villages, mom's hometown, the little shops and cafes, the magnificent stone buildings would be forever imprinted there. A few days earlier, Tilly and Stefan had taken me to Rome. It was the most fascinating place I'd ever been to. The grandeur of the architecture and the bustle of the city made one feel part of something bigger than life. And yet, I somehow preferred the rustic charm of Umbria's smaller towns. By the end of the day, I couldn't walk another step. As we toured the city from one tour spot to the next, Tilly and Stefan had played it cool with each other, but beneath the surface of their casual exchanges, I sensed there was something different between them, a feeling of anticipation, like a new discovery, waiting to be explored further, but with the utmost care. I felt truly happy for Tilly, Though I liked Giovanni, I wish that it had been Stefan who was seeing me off. But alas, I knew that patience would have to reign over everything where Tilly was concerned, with my thoughts meandering back to the scenes and moments of perfect that had defined so much of the time I'd spent in Italy, I hadn't even noticed when Giovanni had pulled into the airport almost two hours later. I had little time. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I had little time for a prolonged goodbye for which I was secretly thankful. I didn't like long drawn out goodbyes, partly because I always felt anxious about being on time and partly because I didn't want to give myself the opportunity to become emotional. 
though I felt the humble beginnings of tears forming in the corner of my eyes, I didn't linger at the departure gate. After a brief conversation with Giovanni in which he wished me a good flight and happy life in very broken English, I said goodbye to Tilly. I was thankful for our time together and for our little journey of self-discovery. I was even more thankful that I had a sister like Tilly, one who loved me despite all of my shortcomings and who wasn't afraid to make me see things about myself that scared me half to death. I hugged her, then I noticed that she looked a little teary-eyed as well. I love you, Angie, she whispered in my ear as we parted. She held me at arm's length, looking me over. Don't worry so much, you'll do the right thing. She turned away, linking her arm with Giovanni's and winked at me. It was so like her to recover so quickly from such a tender moment. I turned around after a few moments to watch them. As if my glance was a psychic call, Tilly turned back to look at me. I blew her a kiss and wondered oddly at precisely that moment if she would break it off with Giovanni that day or if she would end up going back to her apartment to have wild and passionate sex with him. This thought forced an outward laugh, which didn't go unnoticed by a few people standing around me. The flight home seemed very long. I found myself playing out scenarios in my head of when and how I would tell less about Harry. My mind linger on the hap lingered on the happier ones where he took me in his arms, crying tears of joy, all the while telling me how much he loved me or how much more he loved me knowing that Harry was his son. Then Tilly's words would seep their way into my thoughts. He might be angry as hell and I wouldn't blame him, she'd warned me, an unfamiliar note of caution in her voice. During the in-flight movie, which held my interest for all of 15 minutes, I fell asleep, wondering what it would be like for Harry, Les, and me living as a family. The dream that followed started off beautifully. Me at home, waiting for Les, waiting till the wee hours of the morning, and Harry just a little baby again. Then nightmare status kicked in, with Les finally arriving home to tell me that he was in love with another woman. I couldn't see my own face in the dream, but I knew that I was absolutely stoic in my reaction. There were no signs of panic or anger, none of those emotions a wife would feel or show to an unfaithful partner. Hours later, fully conscious, I wondered whether the dream was a premonition, a divine message that I needed to be prepared for, a less than perfect situation where Les was concerned, or that I was destined to be a single mother forever. When a voice over the flight's intercom system announced that it was time to prepare for landing, I was glad for the distraction. It had been a long day. I looked out of the tiny window just in time to see the CN Tower looming above the other pieces of skyline and city lights in the night sky. It made me feel a little lonely, even more so when I remembered that I would not be seeing Harry until the following day, having insisted that my parents not venture out to the airport at such a late hour. It'll be easier that way, I tried to assure my mother, and besides it'll force me to get some sleep if I just take a taxi and go home straight away. Reluctantly, they agreed to my plan, though I knew that I probably wouldn't sleep at all, mainly because I missed Harry terribly. I was anxious to see him and share some of my exciting adventures with him. I was also dying to know how things were going with him and his new girlfriend. Then I thought of Les and wondered when I would see him next. I was very curious about how he had spent the last 10 days and wanted to know everything he'd done while I was away. Going through Canadian customs was painful. The lineup seemed to take forever. When it was my turn, I approached the customs official who was a young woman. I decided after the first two questions that she was going to flag me. As always, my instincts were correct. After I received a red star on my customs tag, I was guided away from the gate and had my bags checked. I know that's happened to anybody at one time or another. 
When I was finally free to go, fatigue started to take its toll, and all I could think about at that point was getting home, crawling into bed, and following me, falling into a long, deep sleep. Dragging my luggage through the arrival gate and into the concourse with its many shops and restaurants, I decided to find a restroom. I stood there looking around, peering through the crowd at the hurried travelers racing through the terminal. My attention was somehow drawn to a family standing in a circle, welcoming a young man who looked to be not much older than Harry. I enjoyed watching their little reunion, and as I stood there smiling at them all, a familiar voice out of nowhere said, "'Welcome home, Angel.' I didn't move. For that instant, time stopped. The scene I'd been looking at suddenly became a blur. I whirled around, and there Les was, standing in front of me, a playful smile on his lips. His eyes danced as they searched mine. It was pure pleasure to see him there, his hair wet and his face freshly shaven. Need a ride? he asked, his eyes now teasing as I continued to be mesmerized by his gaze. I suddenly had the urge to throw my arms around him and whisper sweet nothings in his ear. Despite how uncharacteristic it was of me, I couldn't help it, so I did throw my arms around him, though the sweet nothings considered of, consisted of a quick thank you for coming. <laughs> how did you know when I was getting in? I never told told you, I stammered, trying desperately to hide how ecstatic I was to see him. It wasn't really difficult, you know, you were going for 10 days, just a little math. Oh, there were no other flights from Rome? How did you know which one? I couldn't let it go. I had to hear the detailed version of how he'd come to be there when I arrived. I had to play it out like some sort of romance story. Avoiding my question, he took my luggage and quickly changed the subject. Come on, I'm not parked too far away. Did you enjoy your trip? It was wonderful, Les. I'm glad I went after all. I really loved being with my sister. It seemed to calm my nerves somewhat to think of Italy and of Tilly. My heart hadn't stopped pounding in my ears since the second I heard his voice. During our ride home, I recounted the highlights from my trip, but it was exhausting. Just sitting next to him was already a distraction, and I didn't feel like talking. I felt as if I would burst from wanting to kiss him while I listened to him talking about what the weather was like and how busy his last couple of weeks had been. When he pulled into the driveway, a sense of home hit me. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something that seemed both familiar and strange at the same time. It looked like Mel's car parked in Eddie Bickner's driveway. I was now completely distracted on a totally different level. While Les already had my luggage out of the trunk and at the front door, I was still meandering up the wall walkway staring at Eddie's house. As I made my way up the steps, I realized I had no idea where I'd put my house keys. I fiddled around in my purse. Finally, after searching through every compartment, I found them. I looked up at Les and realized that he had barely said a word since pulling into the driveway. In contrast to his earlier mood, he was now staring at me intently. His expression was serious and there was a yearning in his eyes that sent a quick shiver up my spine. When I looked up at him, he smiled nervously. I realized he was waiting for me to make the next move. I knew he wouldn't stay unless I asked him to. I started to unlock the door, doing my best to appear calm and in control. As nonchalantly as I could, I eased into the invitation. Les, thank you so much for coming tonight. I Suddenly, a hearty, high-pitched laugh from next door filled the quiet street. We both jerked our heads instinctively toward the commotion. I knew instantly that it was Mel. It was her car parked at Eddie's place. I peeked over the hedge to see Mel in an amorous embrace with Eddie Bickner. I could not believe my eyes. Eddie and Mel together? 
beautiful, smart Mel, who would never leave that asshole of a fiance if her life depended on it, was leaving Eddie Bickner's house at one in the morning. And from what I could tell, some hanky-panky had definitely taken place. Mel turned her head in my direction as if she knew we were standing there watching. Instantly, I ducked down, pulling Les down with me onto the hard cement porch. That's Mel over there, I whispered. I don't want her to see us. I was crouching down now, leaning against Les and holding on to his arm for balance. I was trying to hear what Mel and Eddie were saying to each other, but it was too muffled. Then, as if someone had pinched me, I became acutely aware of Les crouching down beside me, leaning against me from behind my back. I could hear him breathing softly, and I could smell pine and cedar mixed with traces of his cologne. My heart began to race, and I closed my eyes. Suddenly, as if he sensed his own, my own arousal, he picked me up with what seemed like absolute ease. Swinging around, he turned the door handle with one hand while holding me up against it with the other. Then he pushed the door open with his foot. Still carrying me, he closed it behind him gently. He placed me on my feet as if I were a porcelain doll and stood there looking at me. His eyes were full of want, his whole expression inviting. I put his warm, he put his warm hands on my cheek then slid one arm behind my back, drawing me toward him. He held me so tightly I couldn't move. When he finally kissed me, first on my mouth and then on my neck, a moan of pleasure escaped me. His lips glided up the nape of my neck and back to my mouth, and he kissed me again, gently at first, and then as his hands swept through my hair, his lips made their claim more confidently on mine. I felt myself responding to him in a way that I hadn't been able to do before. My arms linked around his neck as if they were totally possessed with a mind of their own, and I found myself pulling off his jacket and unbuttoning his shirt with trembling hands. I was past the point of being able to stop myself, and I knew it. So when he picked me up to carry me, this time to the bedroom, I abandoned all reserve. I kissed him almost frantically. I couldn't stop running my fingers through his soft, dark hair and then over his back, which felt muscular and taut. I felt once again, as I had that first morning in Tilly's apartment, as if I were a part of a scene in a movie, a love scene that couldn't be any steamier. I was glad it was as perfect as that. Love scenes in movies always seem so perfect. He lay me down on the bed. Having managed to remove my blouse with me barely noticing, he stood over me, silently taking in every contour as his eyes wandered down the length of my partially naked body. I could sense the feeling of wanting and anticipation in his expression. I knew I wore the same one. As he came down on me, our eyes locked for a brief moment, and we both knew that there was no turning back. His lips felt gentle and warm as he kissed my breast, then my belly. Then we were writhing, our bodies moving in a haphazard rhythm while trying desperately to undo each other's pants. I don't know how we ever managed to accomplish that feat in between all of the kissing and groping, but we did, finally. And then I felt all of him become a part of me. It was that wonderful intimate moment in lovemaking when two sexualities greet one another. It's wondrous and mysterious and scary at the same time, the unknown moving rapidly into the known. Harry's face flashed before my mind for an instant, and I couldn't help but stare at Les, his eyes half-closed. A wave of tenderness amidst all of the passion came over me, and I closed my eyes, praying it could always be this way. Our night of lovemaking was nothing like the first time fifteen years ago. Experience and age seemed to have improved things greatly in that department, and Les, being the true gentleman that he was, was a pleaser. 
He took me to a place that I didn't think I'd ever reached, not with any man. When he reached his peak of pleasure, he let out a soft gasp, and I whispered some and whispered something in my ear that made me feel as if I were truly part of him, body, mind, and soul. I always thought it was such a romantic thing when a man whispered a woman's name to her while he was making love to her. I would have been ecstatic, ecstatic if he had whispered my name. I was overwhelmed when instead he whispered, my angel. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> I forgot that that was, um, these chapters were the one where they first oh. made love. Hmm. Yeah. But I love it. <laughs> Did you think it was steamy enough? I've been told that it wasn't steamy enough. <laughs> it depends, I think, on what what you like to read. No, Deb, Deb's at a loss for words here. <laughs> was okay? I thought it was okay. Yeah? yeah? I think in light of the tone of the book, at least so far, I thought it certainly fit in. Yeah. And uh... I wanted it to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it has been a long time. And mm -hmm. I think we talked in I hope she's on birth control. So <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. Okay. That was the best. That was the best. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah. Good That's point. What... I think she probably yeah. was yeah. knowing what happened the first time. Yeah. Or definitely they would have used some sort of protection. But anyway. if they did, yeah, I know. I know. Oh, Deb, I love it. <laughs> anyway, we're so I love this next chapter because oh. well, you can just picture what I, it would I, be like the next day. And Mel, remind sorry, Mel, yeah, Mel, Mel again. Mel is the person who works. Yeah, she's the other vet. Oh, she's the other vet. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So, so that'll be explained now. there. Yeah. yeah, Mel and Eddie, and Eddie <laughs> Angel can barely stand. <laughs> Right. Interesting. We'll have to see what happens with them, I guess, <laughs> if you've weaved them into the story. <laughs> Sometimes when you're writing, you have to put a little shocker in there, right? So that was a bit of a shocker. Yeah. Not a huge one, just a little one. Do you want to read the last one before we end off? It's called Awkward. Uh, sure. Let's see. Chapter 29. We get into the next morning. Uh, maybe, I, lo I love this. Okay. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll, I'll do part. You can do part. Okay. How's you that? Want, you want to start? Sure. Okay. Awkward. Okay. Here we go. The next morning, I woke to the sound of a light ring pattering on the roof. Coming to my senses, I began recalling my night with Les. I looked over to the vacant pillow next to me. Just as I was about to convince myself that it all had to be a dream, he strolled into the bedroom, fully dressed, carrying a little brown bag and a Starbucks coffee cup. I sat up quickly, the sheet falling away from me, revealing most of my very bare body. Feeling somewhat shy suddenly, I made a quick recovery and pulled the sheet up to cover myself. Les grinned and sat down next to me on the bed, then leaned over and kissed me very softly on the lips. It was a lingering type of kiss, the kind where if you linger there any longer, you may as well get naked. We were halfway there anyway, but Les refrained and pulled back asking, are you hungry? I got you something. I was famished and very grateful that he had thought about the fact that I would probably have no food in the fridge and by this time we'd be having cafe au lait withdrawal. 
He handed me the coffee cup and opened a little brown bag. I peered inside and upon seeing two crispy almond croissants, my mouth began to water. I looked at Les and before I could say anything, he said, you're welcome, Angel, and then kissed me on the forehead. While I sat there drinking my coffee and devouring a croissant, Les went into the closet. I could hear him moving some boxes and things around. What are you doing in there, Les? I couldn't recall the hot male actor fiddling around in a closet after a lustful night of sex. Movie's over now, Angel. He came out, his sleeves rolled up. I was just checking out, checking out your closet. You were right. You do need more storage space. I wasn't sure what to make of it. I pictured Les walking around my house with coveralls and a tool belt. I'm not sure whether he could read my mind or not, but as he sat down on the edge of the bed again, he laughed heartily. What's wrong? You did mention that you want something done about that closet, didn't you? It doesn't have to be today, I said. No, but it gives me an excuse to come back here to see you. After last night, you don't really need an excuse to see me, Les Grierson, I scolded. And just to ruin a completely perfect moment, my mother's voice reverberated through the house. Angel, Angel, we're here. If there was ever a moment when I wanted to scream, fuck, at the top of my lungs, that would have been the moment. I wanted to kick myself for ever giving my mother um, a key to the house. You'd think that perhaps the extra car in the driveway would be a dead giveaway that I had company. How would I explain this to her? Even more frightening, how would I explain this to Harry? Both my mother's voice and my shocked expression jolted Les into action. Get dressed, he said. I'll take care of it. When he saw that I had not moved, the look of panic still etched across my face. He shook my arm. Angel, come on, hurry. Don't worry. Just get yourself dressed and come out. And with that, he walked out of the bedroom, taking my empty coffee cup with him. I pulled on my jeans, my hands shaking, wondering what I could say. Here I was, a grown woman, having to explain my evening exploits to my parents and teenage son. While I washed my face and brushed my teeth, I thought up different scenarios that would explain why Les was at my house and in my bedroom when I had barely arrived on Canadian soil. When I walked into the family room to join everyone, I saw Harry and my nerves were given some reprieve. Just seeing him standing there, a big smile on his face brought such joy to me. He seemed older and had perhaps had gained a few pounds, no doubt because of mom's cooking. As soon as he saw me, he gave me a lovely homecoming hug. I kissed the top of his head. Hi, honey, I said, squeezing him. It's wonderful to see you. When I looked up and at last, he was staring at us both, his lips pursed and his head tilted to the side. I realized this was the first time that he had come face to face with his own son. How quickly things happen. One minute I'm having the hottest sex of my life with the man of my dreams, who just happened to be the father of my child. The next minute I'm faced with all the people in my life who mean the most to me, unknowingly connected to each other. As I attempted to relinquish my composure, I secretly prayed that Les would not suspect Harry's true age. Hi, Mom, I said, giving my mother a quick kiss on the cheek. And she gave me a knowing look of encouragement. Turning to my father, who was sitting on the big armchair, I had the feeling that I was perhaps more nervous than I ought to have been. He seemed totally unfazed by the fact that I had a man in my living room. Hello, darling. How was your trip? He got up to give me a squeeze. It was great. It was, I looked at Les. Angel was going to tell me about it this morning after I surprised her with coffee. Les seemed sure of himself more than I was. That was nice of you, Les, Mom said, casting a glance in my direction. 
Yes, Les came this morning with croissants and coffee. It was a very nice surprise, especially after a long flight yesterday. I thought I was doing pretty well until Harry asked, did Les pick you up from the airport? I looked at Les, hoping he would answer for me, but he said nothing. I knew that he was waiting for me to decide whether or not I would tell the truth. Well, he did come, but we missed each other, unfortunately. I lied. Call me a coward, but I knew for Harry's sake that I would have to proceed with extreme caution when Le where Les was concerned. I wondered, as the little white lie rolled off my tongue, if Les was relieved or disappointed that I had kept his surprise appearance at the airport a secret. Are you tired, Angelica, or should we go out for lunch? There was Mom, again, trying to break the awkwardness of the situation. Lunch? I was shocked to see that it was almost noon. I really had slept in. I don't know. It's up to Harry. Les, will you join us? Mom asked, her tone hopeful. I would love to, he answered, but I'm already late for a special project that I have to start for a friend. What's that? It was Dad who was curious now. Oh, I've got to get some supplies today to rebuild a closet. When I realized that he was talking about my closet, I wanted to wrap my arms around him and kiss him. I was so appreciative of his efforts to make light of my discomforting predicament and assure me that he would be back. Les leaned forward and shook Harry's hand. Nice to meet you, Harry. As I watched the exchange be between father and son, I struggled to hold myself together. There there they were, the two of them, meeting for the first time, like strangers. To my amazement, Mom gave Les a kiss on the cheek and whispered to him her, in her beautifully distinct Italian accent, Thank you for taking care of our angel. There was something so telling in her tone that I was almost embarrassed to look at her. I walked Les to the door, searching his face for any sign of realization or concern or an urge to ask me questions about Harry. He kissed me on the lips and said in a low voice, Call me later, okay? I nodded. When he noticed the worried look on my face, he cupped my, ch my chin in his hand and opened his mouth as if he wanted to say something, then hesitated. We both stood there, looking into each other's eyes as if we were looking for something, some hidden secret. Then, as if he'd reconsidered, he brushed his, the thumb, his thumb across my cheek and then over my lips, saying, You're beautiful. Totally paralyzed from his touch and the light brown flecks in his eyes that glimmered in the light, I stood there, speechless. Then before I could say anything, he was gone. I knew that I had to tell him soon, perhaps later on that day. Somehow I had to find the courage to tell him because I knew I was falling in love with him, and even more frightening, that he was falling in love with me the end of chapter 29 so it's coming she gotta tell him <laughs> now he's met her his son she's got no more no more fooling around no here more, no more <laughs> i'm trying to remember actually if he sees the son one more time oh okay. before she tells okay well anyway okay so chapter 30 okay yeah, i'm gonna yeah. close that off here yeah, so you know where you're gonna continue yes yes <laughs> So I I love that the mom shows up the next day. Oh goodness! I mean, what's and the she reality? Feels like of a little kid again. Yeah, like she has to hide this guy in her room. I know. My goodness. I would but, ask you I... if you've ever been in that position, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many people yeah, have. Yeah. 
I'm trying to remember if I have. Oh, gosh. I know, but at her age, when do parents just pop in like that? I, I guess know. they're close. It's a they f- are. They're. I don't. I think they're all, maybe even the, the next street over or something. Oh, they're oh, very close. close. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he makes a good comeback. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. And then she lies, of course, mm-hmm. and she just doesn't have the courage to, um, you know, just say, "Oh yeah, he slipped over," you know, because it's awkward, right? And she's. I think it, it's also because. She, of the the dynamics between father and son i think it was just not his son maybe she would have felt not as nervous and mm. felt she had to lie i don't know mm-hmm. that's another story mm-hmm. again another mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so. it's just interesting that you know, i just wondered about how when they met so many years ago and they had their little interaction did you think, were you thinking that he took advantage of her? Like, I mean, they hardly even knew each other. And then all of a sudden, like when they were young. Yeah. Maybe. Um, like, that's a, I just wondered. That question, I'm just wondering, that you know, given who she was, and I guess is, but at that age, and that all of a sudden she's having sex with him in the car yep. many years ago. Like, yep. I, you know, I just sort of wondered what you were thinking in terms of how that happened or why that would happen. I mean, I understand at that age, obviously, it just one night or one time and that was it. <laughs> yeah. And she, she wasn't the type of girl to just do that either. Right. Yeah. So, so it does, she does address that a little bit in an earlier chapter when she right. talks about that night. Like when she narrates, it's probably chapter two or three or something. And she says she didn't feel like some stupid kid. She just felt it was a moment, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, could he have been taking advantage of her? He could have been, there's, there's some answered things that aren't addressed. Mm -hmm. For example, did he like her before that? Like Mm -hmm. for a while, he may have noticed her because she, she did say that when she worked in that grocery store, um, as a teenager, that he would come in. And she would, their conversations consisted of high and by, and would you like a bag for that type of thing? So he did know who she was and he may have noticed her and liked her for a long time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really say that, mm-hmm. but there is, I think it's more a connection. Um, and there's, can you have a connection that strong at that young age? Perhaps. Um, but obviously he did really like her and she obviously was a little bit naive Mm -hmm. and got herself in a situation that she probably shouldn't have, but maybe she should have. (laughs) Let's just see. (laughs) But good question. And nobody's asked me that question, you know, about how, like, you know, was, is he really as nice a guy as he sort of is made out to be in the book and right mm-hmm. and there could be and he, there could he is several years older than her yes like he was a senior in high school yes yeah. yes he was a senior yeah anyway mm. so thank you for asking that question <laughs> that was a good one what a juicy question <laughs> Dad's laughing here. anyway yeah. i hope you're enjoying it so far oh i am i yeah. am can you relate to angel because she's always got to have things organized and set up and planned and because you're a planner too i feel mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. you're also very organized and you like things in their place like me yeah. right to we a always talk extent. about that yes to a certain extent 
And the fact, I, I guess where I would relate to her is that, uh, that she persevered and was determined to, you know, get her degrees and all that, even though yes. there's, I mean, that would be really, really difficult in real life to have a child when you're in high school and then your mother is taking care of the baby and then somehow you end up in university and then you end up, you know, how many years in university did she have to be to become a vet at least eight or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think where I can relate to her is to persevere in terms of education Goals. and to, and to finish, you know, finish that and then determine what to do uh, in your life. I, yeah. I get that for sure. Yeah. And it, it is very difficult when you're young and that, have kids. I can see that in you. I can see oh. driven. You're very driven. <laughs> yeah. And your career speaks yeah. to that. Right? Yeah. Well, that's one thing my aunt Vicki always said to me when, uh, when we were growing up is, uh, people can take many things away from you. I mean, you know, when you come from a family that doesn't have a lot of money and you have in your background of your relatives who didn't get past the eighth grade or yeah. out of high school, but the one thing she would always say, it's uh, your degree or your education is one thing that nobody can take away. Yeah. You can lose your house, you can lose your job, you can, you know, go through, uh, you know, yeah. not making, losing your job, et cetera. Uh, growing up in poverty, etc. But that's one thing. Yes. And uh, my mother well, used to say to me, "Oh, um, don't depend on a man anytime. <laughs> Always uh -huh. like get an education, mm -hmm. be independent." Mm. And I wonder. I always wondered mm. if she thought that because she wished that for herself because mm. she didn't go past high school. Mm -hmm. My dad didn't mm -hmm. have an education past grade eight. He came at thirteen mm -hmm. years old mm -hmm. from Italy. Wow. And yeah. never even really went to high school mm -hmm. and worked. Mm -hmm. And so I remember my mother saying that all the time. Mm. And I'm glad she said that mm. because it, it kind of made me think, yeah, I, mm. I want to be independent. I want to go, you know, all the way. Mm. Good for her. Yeah. My mother was the opposite. She, she said, uh, I mean, given her background and given our oh, circumstances sure. and yeah. our family, and you know, there's always those demographics and dynamics. Um, I mean, I, I had to fight to make sure and really, uh, persevere to, in order to go to college and, you know, not having the money, et cetera. She just thought I should, you know, be a secretary or something like that yeah. in the mill and, and settle down there, that type of thing. But anyway, so, you know, you're different. You. Yeah. And that, that's... that's, well, we're both Tauruses too. We were... Yeah. That's what I love about you, Deb. We were... <laughs> Bull heads. Yeah, we are. Are we? We are bulls. A little bit. Just a little. I bet your husband's just walking in the room now. I'm wondering what he's thinking. He's probably going, yeah, you can say that again. Well, he, he would say a lot more than that, I think. Yeah, this is yeah. this has been fun. I'm this, this I'm 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 happy we did. I know this. you were a bit was, reluctant. I'm going to yeah, tell what? the audience you were yeah. a bit reluctant mm -hmm. of sharing, but it's nice to actually have a conversation and you know it the book the story it does precipitate sort of conversations about life too mm. like your own life you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so I, I like that mm. i like that we're i'm able to have this with my friends and mm. my guests so 
Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, and I, I'm hoping to go to Tuscany, hopefully this year. <laughs> I hope you go too. Yeah. It's an experience. I, I want to go back and yeah. visit places I wasn't able to visit as a mm -hmm. younger person. I think it would be a different experience. Yeah, you have to advise thing. me on that. Oh, <laughs> we're... oh we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk. talk. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Debbie. I'm so appreciative that you agreed to do this. <laughs> Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you're really enjoying this part of the book and that you continue to listen. Um, we're almost there. So we'll catch you next time. Take care. <laughs>